see, that would be awesome, and we've got to be here to do that. So, of course, I hope you'll be here next week, uh, but I hope that you'll be in your place uh, on time early and uh, with a good attitude. The second thing I'd like to ask you to do, in addition to uh, being here in your place, is to bring a guest with you, all right? Now, we need to all be inviting people, but let's take it up a notch and be a bringer. And uh, I think it could be an, an encouragement and a blessing to anybody that you bring. And uh, so we're looking forward to an absolutely fantastic Sunday next week. Now, back to this week. We're finishing a series that we've been in that we've called The Church Is, and we've been filling in the blank. The Church Is. Is. And what we've done is we've gone back to the New Testament book of Acts, which chronicles the, the beginning and the early growth and development of the church, and we've sought to learn what elements were used of God to help the church change the world in which they live. The biblical narrative, the testimony of those who oppose Christianity was, man, these people, they've turned the world upside down. And so we're seeking to answer the question in a sense, how did they do that? And we started by understanding they were a compassionate people. They cared for the needs of others. Right after that great Sunday when the church was started, we call Pentecost Sunday, where Peter preached, thousands were saved and baptized and added to the church. The very next scene in the narrative of the church is Peter and John, and they're walking to spend some time in prayer, and they see a guy that has needs, and they're the kind of people that say, you know, Jesus just would not have me to walk past this problem. I've got to do something. They were compassionate. We learn next, they were courageous. It takes courage to know what is right and to do what is right, and sometimes to face the consequences that comes along with doing that which is right. And the New Testament church, they were committed, uh, uh, they were uh, courageous, and then we saw that they were unified. And uh, unity preceded every great work of God. In the book of Acts, the Bible mentions they were together, they had all things common, they were in one accord, they were unified. And uh, then we saw they were a praying church. And if we believe in God, we're going to understand the means of our communicating with Him is through prayer. And last week we saw they were evangelistic. And so to finish the study off, I thought it would be helpful to understand that in, in many ways, the first century church provides to us an example. An example that teaches me at least two things. First, I can learn from their example. So I can see in them a model, a pattern, if you would. And collectively, we can do this as a church. We can discern those elements that they had. We can see the compassion, the courage, the unity, the prayer, the evangelism. And we can say, if we want to be a church that's a Bible church, a follower of Jesus, these are attributes we can employ in our day-to-day -day lives and in our work as a church family. So first of all, their example provides us the benefit of of a pattern but secondarily I want you to see that their example provides us an example that we too need to be an example now you can apply that to your family and we can apply that to our church family my prayer is that in the course of my life I'd be able to leave some things behind so that those coming behind me would be able to see hey that's the way that's to be done here's how we can handle that and this first century church was a fantastic example in that they served as a pattern from uh, for us and they call us to live exemplary lives as well and to help with this study I want to focus on one man who was a part of the leadership team in Jerusalem of the church there a great man of faith. He served as a deacon in the church. He was a leader that was sent out to start other churches so they could reach more people for Jesus. And the name of the man we're going to study today is Philip. Philip. 
Philip lived a productive life. I mean, in the truest sense of the word. He didn't just invest his time and, and breathe in air and, and out. This was a guy that got stuff done with his life. He was productive. He made an impact. He was a man, and I want you to hear this, who had a relationship, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I love that. This was a man that didn't stop in his life. He wasn't a man that came to faith in Jesus and it kind of rested there. This was a guy that grew in the Lord in the course of his life. Let me tell you something else about Philip I really admire greatly. He was a man that had a family that also knew the Lord and loved the Lord. The Bible tells us he had a family that was faithful. And, and when I meet a man in Scripture or anywhere else who has a rock-solid family, there's a part of me that thinks, I want to learn from this person. And Philip was a man that had a fantastic family. He was a, a good man in many ways. He, in a lot of ways, was an unsung hero in the New Testament. By no means is he the most famous member of that church as they were getting started. But when you consider his life, it may be that he was as well-rounded as anyone you'll find in Scripture in terms of providing a wonderful example. And so we're going to be reading today from Acts chapter 21. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read together Acts chapter 21. Let me say again how thankful I am that you're here I mean that, and I know you could be thinking, Pastor, I didn't come to church for you, I came for God and, and for myself, and I know that, but I, I still retain the prerogative to be thankful nonetheless. You can't take that from me. I am thankful you're here, and uh, I hope that you're blessed and helped. Acts chapter 21, I'll read in a moment, but I want to give you the setting of this chapter of Scripture. Uh, we know there are 28 chapters in the New Testament book of Acts, but in a lot of ways, 21, chapter 21, is kind of the conclusion of the history of the church that we find in this book. The remainder of the book of Acts gives us the accounting of the Apostle Paul's arrest, imprisonment, a journey he takes to face trial. It, it deals mostly with the conclusion of the life of Paul. And in Acts chapter 21, Paul is ending his, his functioning years in ministry in that sense before he goes into uh, imprisonment in, in, in a time that will lead to his death ultimately. And so let's look in Acts chapter 21, and I'll start in verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Coos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patara, and finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenice, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid a burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to read on, but I want to stop there at the ending of, of verse 4 to give you a little better understanding of what's happening here. In, in verse 1, it talks about we left them, and in verse 4, it talks about uh, Paul and, and uh, it, people telling him not to go to Jerusalem. We've studied recently in Acts chapter 20, Paul was saying goodbye there to his friends in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. Many of you will recall that. In verse 21, he turns the corner, and uh, when, when it speaks of this this uh, team here as a group and in verse 4 when it speaks of Paul I want you to get the concept of what's happening here Paul's traveling with his missions team the human writer of the book of Acts was Luke Luke was a medical doctor uh, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and he was right in the middle of a lot of the big things that the apostle Paul did with, with his life he was an excellent historian a great writer of course inspired of God here in the book of Acts 
And so don't lose sight of the fact that we're reading here about the Apostle Paul and the team of people that were with him. Let's go into verse 5. The Bible says, And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemy and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we were of Paul's company, departed. Uh, we, excuse me, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Paul and his company, we read in verse 8, came to the home of a man. And I want you to notice how the Bible speaks of this man in verse 8. Notice the expression, Philip the evangelist. I want us to think on this together today, Philip the evangelist. Our Father, I am so excited beyond words to even express for the joy and the privilege of being here in this room with these people to open your inspired and preserved word and do my best to teach it. God, use me to do what I can't do. Uh, take this message beyond ears and minds and, and put it in hearts. I pray that each of us would be receptive to that which you want to teach us in this time. God, I pray that a difference would be made through this and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. It started early in my life. I have two older brothers. They're nine and ten years older than me. And early in life, I started looking up to them. And just about anything they did, I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it the way they did it. And, and so I would watch them and I would seek to copy them. And I measured success at my stage in life and how closely I could copy those things that my brothers did. Now, I want you to know today that's a pretty immature way to live life. In fact, that's a pretty unhealthy way to live life, to try to do the same things that other people do. But if you're like me, that's kind of where it begins. We look at others when we're younger and we see what they do and we do our best to copy it. And, and, and then we grow a little bit and we get to school. I can still remember uh, students in school that, that I admired and uh, I would watch them. I remember teachers that made an impact on my life. And I thank God for all, all the teachers I had, but some of them, they had the gift. They, they were just excellent and they inspired me. And it meant so much to me that, that they would invest in my life in that way. I think of coaches. Again, I'm glad for all the coaches that gave time to uh, help us as we were coming along. But I think of coaches, Coach Gary. I think of Coach uh, Clifton. And these were people that just poured into my life. And, and I learned much from them. And I, I wanted to use what I learned as I moved forward. As I grew, there was a time where I'd look at men who I knew had, a, had a, what appeared to be at least a, a rock-solid marriage, and I would want to learn from them. What, what is it that they do to have a marriage that looks like that? It seems like they're doing well. I know as I even grew more, I would look to fathers who had children that seemed like they were happy and well-adjusted and liked their parents and their feelings were mutual, and I would think, what is it that that person knows? I want to learn from that, not, not anymore so I can copy them necessarily, but so I can take what they've learned and let it serve as a pattern, an example for me in my life. When it comes to the Christian life, I want you to know we are blessed 
to have a great example from the earliest uh, Christians here in the church. There are some who provide a great service to us by way of a poor example. You see, life is too short to make all the mistakes ourselves. It's good to be able to learn from the mistakes of others. And God in His Word is so kind to be honest enough to tell us that, hey, sometimes they got it wrong. And there are occasions when a bad example is given in Scripture so that we can learn from that. But we're also thankful that God in His love shares the right way for which life to be lived. And as we are in this study, the church is, I want you to know that that the book of Acts provides for us the biblical foundation, the pattern for the New Testament local church. And we find a great example. And Philip, as I said earlier, was one of those really helpful examples Many of our studies have focused on a single passage, but to really get a a, a good understanding of the life of Philip, we're going to have to go to a few passages in the book of Acts. We read one a moment earlier here in Acts chapter 21 and verse 8, and there's kind of a benign mention of Philip. In fact, as we read this passage, and I announced before I read the passage, we're going to learn about Philip. And if you read that passage with me, you might have noticed Philip doesn't say one thing in the words I read. Not a word. I I mean, we find a mention of Paul going into his house, but beyond that, nothing significant that Philip did there, no words that he said. Isn't it good to know today that you can be a good example at times even when you're not saying a single word? I think of maybe the most significant character in my life as I was growing up was my grandfather. I just loved him. I just loved him. He was the best. I mean, he was just the best. And uh, I spent all my summers there, and, and we were good, good buddies. And, and uh, my granddad left school in the eighth grade to go work on the family farm. I mean, it, I just feel like my granddad, he's vintage Americana. He was first generation of a, of a homestead farmer. Left school in the eighth grade to help on that farm. And, and by our world standards, we would say that he was an uneducated man. But if you called him ignorant, you'd have a fight on your hands by at least me and probably a few other of my cousins he was not an ignorant man he had a great mind in fact he he loved the bible he loved the book of romans in the bible so he just decided to memorize it one winter and he did he had a fantastic mind he was a great businessman i mean he took the farm tenfold beyond where it was when my great great grandfather had it and my grandfather was so generous I mean, not only did he tithe at church every week out of love for Jesus Christ, he gave to missionaries. I saw my granddad many times anonymously find ways to give money to people that he knew were going through a hard time. He just had a heart. He was a hero of mine. But I want you to know, I would estimate 98.95% of the time I was with my grandfather, we weren't talking. A lot of those times we're standing by a stream or by a lake fishing or, or driving or maybe I was riding on the fender of his tractor and, and uh, my granddad didn't say a whole lot in terms of words, yet I want you to know he left a great example for me in my life and I think that's kind of how it is with Philip here. He, he didn't say a single word in the verses we read, but at the same time he provides us with an invaluable example that can help each of us and so as we dig deeper into his life i want you to get your notes nearby if you have those prepared i believe they were handed you on the way in i want us to see the first element in our study today and it's this of of philip it says this he brought healing to uncomfortable partnerships he brought healing to uncomfortable partnerships So again, back to verse 8 in the text we read a moment ago, Paul and his team makes his way to Philip's house. If you understand that, say amen. Amen. They had an understanding that they would be welcomed into Philip's house. 
Paul and his team come to the home of Philip. There's this idea, Philip surely will welcome us. And in the midst of that verse, the Bible says of Philip that he's one of the seven. So in verse 8, Paul and his team come to Philip's house. They understand that they're going to be welcomed in. I'll come back to that. But the Bible says of Philip in that verse just simply, he's one of the seven. And we've got to ask a question, one of what seven? What what does that mean exactly? Well, that one of the seven is a reference that takes us back to Acts chapter 6. In fact, if you want to turn back in your Bibles a few chapters to the left, Acts chapter 6, I'll be reading a few verses from there. In Acts chapter 6, we find the church, it's, it's begun, it's growing, it's blossoming in growth, and they had a problem. By the way, it just makes me all kinds of happy to know that the great church in Jerusalem, while they were growing, they had problems too, okay? There are no perfect churches. Growth many times brings problems, and that's what they were enduring. The problem for them was the church was growing so rapidly that the elders, the apostles, they, they couldn't get to all the demands of ministry, especially the Bible speaks here of the care for the widows. And they just didn't have time to do the study, the prayer, and then do all the demands that a growing ministry brought. And so their solution from the Lord was to employ and deploy more servant leaders who could help people. And by employ, I don't mean physically hire. You see, there was an understanding in the first century church that the elders weren't just a team of hired guns that do all the work for the church, that put on the show for people to come and be entertained. No, it wasn't that at all. The idea was we're all working together here. And so the apostles at the leading of God, they come to the church and say, we got to deal with this. Now, Chapter 6 and verse 3 of the book of Acts, here's how this happens. They said to the people, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. They said, church, here's what needs to happen. We can't get to it all. It's outgrown our capacity, our ability. So you guys look among yourselves, and we want you to find seven. Seven. Now, the word deacon is not used in these verses, but most people believe this is where deacons come from. Of course, the word's used later, but seven people, honest people of a good report or a good testimony, full of the Holy Ghost and and full of wisdom. Church, we need your help. So would you identify seven of, of just the most devoted people in the midst of the church? In response, we read this in Acts chapter six and verse five. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of of Antioch. And and I want you to notice two names in verse 5. The first name in the list is Stephen. The second name in the list, Philip. Now, Now, let's not miss this. These are two men in the same church, And they're serving together, and Philip and Stephen were friends. Stephen's the first deacon mentioned. He lived a life of distinction. Uh, uh, Stephen, rather, is the first deacon. Philip's the second deacon mentioned. He lives a life of distinction. These These are great men used greatly of God. Now, the first name there, Stephen, I want you to think of him with me for a moment. We're going to get back to Philip, but I need to make a point here. Stephen is a man that's known in Scripture really more for one thing than any other thing. He was the first martyr in the history of the church. He was the first Christian to be killed, to be murdered, if you would, 
for simply being a follower of Jesus Christ who sought to share Jesus with other people. That's what Stephen is most known for. But there's an interesting footnote to his death. As people stoned him to death, we read this in Acts chapter 7. If you want to look there, Acts chapter 7, verses 57 and 58. If you're still with me, say amen. The Bible says, Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Now let's get the picture, all right? We have Philip and we have Stephen. Stephen and Philip are friends. Stephen one day starts telling people about Jesus. The people don't want to hear about Jesus. And so they, they take their coats off and they lay them at the feet of a guy. The Bible gives us his name there. His name's Saul. And the guys, they pick up rocks and they start chucking them at Stephen until Stephen dies. Stephen was Philip's friend. And the crowd that killed Philip laid their coat at the feet of a man by the name of Saul. Look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Let's move on just a little bit. In Acts 8 and verse 1, the Bible says of this man Saul, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Now, this man named Saul, he oversaw the murder of Stephen, a dear friend of Philip's, a co-laborer of Philip's. And later in the Bible, this man Saul, he comes to know Jesus as his personal Savior, becomes a follower of Christ. In fact, the Lord changes his name from Saul to Paul as in the Apostle Paul, as in the author of more than half of the New Testament. Saul really gets his start in his professional life, persecuting Christians. And, and, and then we see that he comes to know Jesus. Now follow along with me. And we read in, in our text in Acts chapter 21 that Paul just kind of walks into Philip's house with an understanding that he and his team would be welcomed. How would you respond to someone who harmed or killed a friend? Philip, upon seeing that Paul's life had totally changed, did the thing that he thought love required him to do. He did that which he thought Jesus would have him to do. He forgave him. He forgave him. Now, it's worth adding here that if there's breaking of laws that's going on, that's why we have a, a, a justice system. I, I understand all of that. But Paul didn't break any laws when he, when he murdered Stephen. He was acting actually as an agent of their government. He was covered. He was sanctioned. He was authorized to persecute Christians. It was all the rage back in the day. It was in vogue to persecute Christians. And Paul killed a Christian. And there, there were no crimes broken from a legal standpoint. It was a, a moral crime, of course. But Philip said in his heart, this man did something terrible. But he's now a believer. His life has changed. I have to let this go. You know, one thing I can tell you about the family of God is that it is as dysfunctional as any family you'll ever see. I mean, this one has you and me in it both. So there's at least two nuts at Coastline, all right? <laughs> family of God's not a collection of perfect people. Dysfunction can be the way it is for us. Yet we know that Stephen's death was a turning point for Saul. He was saved shortly thereafter. We know that there was nothing for Saul to do to seek for forgiveness from the Lord other than ask for forgiveness and to do the same for others. But Philip had the unspeakably tough job of bringing health to the most uncomfortable partnership we can imagine. Now, I want us to wonder today in our hearts, I wonder who it is that we have a grudge against. 
I wonder who in our life has blown it and they've gotten over it, but we haven't. They've grown beyond it, but we haven't. Now, again, I would be the first to say, if someone's a predator, we certainly have no moral obligation to bring them into our lives and our families, but we can still release them in our hearts because if we hold unforgiveness on the inside, we're not hurting the person we're mad at. We're hurting ourselves then because unforgiveness grows into bitterness, and the Bible says that bitterness, it it can take root in our lives, and it says, and many are defiled. Philip was the kind of man that said, you know something, I, I, I'm not going to harbor this in my life the whole time. And the way the situation worked out, he realized, I can forgive Paul for that which he did. He's a new man in Christ. If someone has grown through his or, her, his or her troubles, we should give them every opportunity to make something good of their lives. That leads us to the second thought we see today. I want you to see a Philip that he brought hope to unevangelized places. Again, in verse 8, we get some insight into Philip's life, just the way the Bible refers to him. It says in verse 8, we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word evangelist. Sometimes it's an extra loud preacher, or maybe it's a guy that travels from uh, church to church to preach, or maybe a guy that preaches in stadiums or under big tents. But the word evangelist isn't really a Christian term. It's, it's not a religious term. In fact, if you look in the middle of the word evangelist, you'll find that word angel. And of course, the word angel just means messenger. We think of the angels, and, and they're messengers for the Lord. And so an evangelist is, is a message, and you can be an evangelist today for a product. You can be an evangelist for your favorite sports team. You can be an evangelist for the Lord. And, and Philip evaluated his life. He said, you know, of all the things that I could really talk about and invest my energy in, it, w- it would be in getting the good news of Jesus Christ out. And so when the Bible says of, of Philip that he was an evangelist, it's teaching us that he invested his life in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. As the book of Acts begins, we find the great commission that Jesus left for his church. We've studied this recently too, but we have to think of it again with Philip in mind. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. I believe they're in your notes. Here on the screens, Jesus said this to the church. He said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both, that's interesting, I'll come back to that, but both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So so Jesus said to the church, hey, here's what I want you to do. Go to the uttermost part of the earth. Philip was not the first man to hear the Great Commission. Philip was not the first one to understand that Jesus wanted his message to go to the ends of the earth. But did you know that Philip has the distinction of being the first person who left their region to take hope to unevangelized places? He was the first one to leave Jerusalem to begin a church in another place. Long before, many times more well-known characters in in the New Testament, people like Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Mark, before that, Philip journeyed to distant lands to tell people of the joy of salvation. He went to the desert, the Bible tells us, that separates the region we call today Palestine from Egypt. He went from there north and west to the desert of Azotus and then to Joppa and in chapter 21 of Acts, we find Philip in Caesarea. And the point I'm making is that he had a heart for those who had yet to meet the Lord. Now today, we can take the gospel around the world without personally going around the world. And one way we do that at Coastline is we have 70 missionaries around the world that we're able to support. Last night at 7 o'clock, the thought in my mind is it's 11 a.m. in Seoul, Korea. 
our missionary, Barry Hoffman, was just stepping to the pulpit to begin to preach at that time. So some of it's happened yesterday. Uh, we, we've got missionary friends in Australia. Yesterday, they had their Sunday services. A few hours from now, our church planner in Hawaii will be having church services. Seventy missionaries around the world that our church supports. And we, we have the joy of knowing that just as Jesus said in the Great Commission, He said, I want you to be witnesses unto me both here and there, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. And we can know in our hearts that we're seeking to fulfill the Great Commission by helping, encouraging, supporting, and praying for those around the world that are doing the work of sharing the love of Jesus Christ. But did you know that we happen to live in a city that has a massive need for Jesus Christ? I'm not advocating a neglect for the world or a diminishing of supporting missionaries. We've supported missionaries at Coastline, our family, before we had missionaries at Coastline. We thought, well, let's just get it going and get the missions account growing so we'll have more people to help. I'm not advocating doing less for foreign missions, but I want you to know we have a massive opportunity to get the good news out to our part of the world as we prepare for a day like Open House Sunday. Many of you know, several weeks ago, our church celebrated our 20th anniversary, and uh, that, that was a fantastic time for me. I just, I was so thankful to the Lord for what He did, and, and uh, so we had like a month-long celebration, and, and a part of that, one of the things we did is we got the families who'd been in the church 15 years or longer, and we got together one night for for a dinner, and, and uh, we had a great time, and, and after the meal, we were talking, and people just kind of started sharing testimonies and so forth, and, and I remember I was, I was kind of uh, near the front as, at this time, and a guy raised his hand just like all the way to my left over there, and, and uh, yeah, what do you got, and he said, uh, that family, by the way, had been at Coastline for over 19 of, of the 20 years, and he stood up, and he said, you know, I remember the Friday night, me and my wife, we talked about we needed to find a church, I'd heard the backstory. I knew there was a little reason why they were looking to find a place they thought could be a help to them. And, and he said it was a Friday night. We thought, you know, we probably should find a church. It, it'd be good for our marriage, good for our family. He said the next Saturday morning, uh, I opened the door late in the morning, and somebody hung an invitation to Coastline Baptist Church on my doorknob. So Friday night, we're talking. We need to find a church. Saturday morning, we come outside, and there's an invitation to Coastline Baptist Church. He said on Sunday... We went to Coastline Baptist Church. We brought that invitation with us. And he said, and it changed our lives for the better. What happened? One person was like Philip. I don't know who that person was. Uh, I guess they'll remain unnamed until we get to heaven. But one person said, you know, I've got a burden for this region, and I believe that my life can make a difference. And, and, and a life was changed, and a family was changed. You never know whose life you will touch for Jesus Christ if you'll be like a Philip and take hope to unevangelized places. I've told our church in depth the story of how our family came to know the Lord. Uh, but but uh, years ago in the 50s, uh, one young man made a decision in a very small farming community to go to all the outlying farms in that area to invite the children to come to a special ministry for children. At that time, he went to the furthest farm away at the end of a road, and there were four kids playing there, one of whom happened to be my dad. So he got my dad, his brother, and their two sisters, and, and they went to a children's program where they came to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. They went home to my grandparents who were not Christians. They didn't believe in Jesus. And through the testimony of, of uh, my dad and my uncle and my aunts and through the influence of the church as it began to work in the lives of those children, my grandparents came to know Jesus and did their best to raise their kids for the Lord. And, and uh, uh, listen, as it turns out, 
Sometime later, I come along, and I'm born into a family uh, with a mom and a dad who know Jesus, and they're able to influence me for Christ. And in time, I come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and that's all to the glory of God. But it goes back to one young man who was a freshman in college who said, I'm going to go to a far out-of-the-way place, and I'm going to talk to kids because I'm too afraid to talk to adults. And God used him to change a life. And look at the ripples. I mean, it's amazing how God can use the life of someone that says, you know something, I, I want to take hope to unevangelized places. Church, this week, I want to challenge you to be like a Philip. Be like a Philip. Take the heed of Jesus who said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. In other words, Jesus said, look, get the blinders off and just focus exclusively on your life. That's a great way to get depressed. He said, why don't you look up and look at what's happening around you and see that I've given you so many opportunities to bless and help other people. Be an evangelist in the sense of sharing the most important news in the entire world. And that brings us to our final thought this morning. Uh, Philip, I want us to see that he brought help to unreached people. He brought help to unreached people. Now, Philip totally went to areas, all right? He went to regions. But it was always very personal for him as well. And we've spent time in recent studies uh, referencing Acts chapter 8. And we learned of the time that Philip was there sharing the gospel with a man. We don't get his name in Scripture. The Bible just calls him the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and in that passage, we, we read this in Acts chapter 8. The Bible says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Canis, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasurer and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. The, the back story is that uh, Philip was having a massive revival and people were getting saved like crazy and, and people were coming to know Jesus. And the angel of the Lord comes to Philip and says, hey, I want you to leave a regional influence because there's one guy over here who needs to know. It was personal to Philip. And we know of this man, we read about in Acts chapter 8, that he was uh, uh, the treasurer for Queen Candace. This was a guy who was very connected. He was uh, uh, a guy of great authority and power. And the Bible tells us he came to Jerusalem for to worship. Now, I can't give you the whole story on this guy. The Bible doesn't give it to us. But we do know this. This guy went from Ethiopia, and he travels north to get to Jerusalem. Why? To worship. There was an interest. There was a desire. He, he knew something was happening there, and he, he wanted to figure it out. But by the time Philip finds this guy, he's now on his way home, and he, he has more questions than he went to Jerusalem with. He doesn't understand some things, and, and he's sitting here trying to figure out what does it really mean to be an authentic follower of, of Jesus. I don't get this, and he's reading. The Bible tells us this man's reading in the Old Testament scriptures, and, and he just doesn't understand now, the short story, I'd love to give the long one, but the short story is Philip shows up and he tells him about Jesus and the man gets saved, he gets baptized and, and it's a great story. But again, let's even look beyond that to the story that precedes that. I want you to understand when we speak of Christianity in the church, we often speak of Jewish people. It started with Jewish people. And they took it out to others at the command of Jesus. And Philip was the first man, the first man 
to take the gospel to a Gentile or a non-Jewish person. That was his heart. He said, I want everybody to know this. Not, not just people just like me. I want everybody to know this. Uh, he, he broke a barrier there. Here's another barrier he broke. The Jewish law did not allow eunuchs in a religious community, but Philip said, I'm not operating under an Old Testament Mosaic law. I'm operating under the law of Jesus Christ, and the law of Jesus is the law of love. I don't care what this guy's history or background is. He's a candidate for the love of Jesus. He said, we'll break that barrier. I'll tell you another barrier. Baptism was the means of admittance into the community of faith. You gave testimony of having received Jesus by faith, and you were baptized in the Bible. The Bible says that they were then added to the church and Philip baptized this guy, another barrier broken. And friends, I don't know uh, much about Ethiopians, but I know most of the ones I've met are black and Philip was not and it didn't seem to bother Philip at all that he was ministering to a guy that was different than he was. Our nation is so incredibly divided. I wrote this message long before I knew what would unfold in the news of our country this week? And if you're like me and you watch much news this week, you know precisely of which is, uh, I'm speaking. And I, I was just heartbroken all the way around. And frankly, I saw idiocy on every side of the position. And at times there was a little glimmer of, of hope or something good that was said. But I, look, I don't have all the answers to all the political divisions in our country I do know this, uh, if you're mean, you're wrong for that. I do know the Bible says, answer not a fool. And sometimes, you know, the last thing you want to do is try and set everybody straight on your Facebook page. <laughs> it's like the Mars Hill of our day. That's where people go to wax poetic and to sound so brilliant. And it's basically a host of much ignorance. I'm not saying today I have all the answers for all those issues. I think we can be nice, though. Let's be nice. But I believe ultimately the unity for which we seek is found in Jesus Christ. And filling our hearts to the point that it overflows to those around us. Uh, listen, I can guarantee you at some point on this day, on this property, there will be a group of children singing a song about Jesus who loves the little children of the world. And they'll say red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. When we say open house Sunday at Coastline, what I mean is let's open up this house and let everybody come in who will come. Listen, Set a person's race aside. God, God doesn't seem to be all that interested in it. God said we're of one blood. Set their past aside. Paul had a pretty tough past. I mean, Paul would have been limited from being a part of a lot of churches in our day, but Philip was the kind of day that said, praise God, God can change your life. Paul, come on into my home. I'm glad you're here. Set the idea that you have of how someone might respond to an invitation and realize you could be the one to help them to come to know Jesus Christ. Philip is such a great role model. In so many ways, he represents to me what the church is to be. He loved the family of faith. He cared for those regions that had yet to hear about Jesus. And he had a heart that was big enough to include other people that were different than he was. And when I wrote those words, I stepped away from my computer for a minute and I thought on it. And I thought, you know, Philip reminds me of somebody else. He reminds me so much of Jesus. Just got a heart that seems to exceed any need.
wow, you forgave who for what? I can't believe that. Reminds me of Jesus. You love everybody? Just like Jesus. Philip is such a great example for us because he reflects a Christ-like life. You know, it's one thing to tell people about our church. But next week, we get to show it to them. Not just tell them about it, we get to show it to people that we bring. And my prayer is that they would encounter a bunch of people in this church who are like Philip. I hope they'll walk into Coastline and find a bunch of Philips. I'm not talking about getting people to come to our church who are actually named Philip. I mean people that will live like Philip live, with that heart, with that compassion, with that care, and with that concern. Peter didn't care, or Philip rather, didn't care about making a name for himself. He wasn't in competition with uh, other apostles or people in the church. No, he just cared deeply about making sure that people saw Jesus in him. And that's what will make a difference in our lives, in our church. Our Father, thank you for giving us this wonderful accounting of the life of this godly man.